It's Thursday, July 19th, and you're listening to The Secrets. Welcome to this podcast of The Secrets, the podcast for anyone who is serious about writing. The Secrets home can be found at www.stormwolf.com. For the next 15 minutes, we'll talk about writing and how to get you even closer to seeing your name on the spine of a book. Welcome to The Secrets, Series 4, Novels. I'm Michael A. Stackpole, a New York Times bestselling novelist. In this series, I'm going to walk you through the various things that crop up in writing a novel. It's never what you expect it to be when you start, requiring the writer to be flexible and to remain focused. For the first set of five podcasts, I'm using my novel Star Wars X-Wing Rogue Squadron as an example. It's a solid little novel that ran largely according to plan. That said, it was also part of a series, so a lot of things had to be layered in to build for future books. While there's nothing wrong with writing single novels, many of us do write in series, so being able to weave things together is important. Do be aware, there are going to be spoilers. That's not just in the form of revealing who lives and who dies, but also in projecting out little clues that tie things together or project into future books. If you don't want the secrets revealed, just collect up this podcast and the next several in the set and save them until after you've read Rogue Squadron. In the last episode, I pointed out that the first quarter of the book is where you get things started. The key characters are introduced, conflicts and strategic issues are laid out. In those first chapters, the story is launched and, if it's done well, will reach a certain momentum that will keep the story going. After that, you can complicate and twist things. The center of the book takes up the middle 50%, more or less. Clearly, then, the last quarter of the book would be to finish it all off. Some folks will look at these numbers and might believe that I'm using the three-act model commonly found in movies. I'm not for a variety of reasons. Most basic among them is that the three-act model works well for movies, but novels get to be more complex. Because of that, they don't lend themselves easily to the three-act model, at least I don't think they do. While there are some writers who would disagree with me on this point, this is just how I feel and this has been my experience. The middle of this novel covers chapters 12 through 26. In looking at how the chapters break down, there's a general pattern that runs planning, counterplanning, and action. The reader gets told what the challenges are of an upcoming mission, then learns why things are going to be even more complicated. Once they've developed an idea of what will happen, they get to see the action unfold and watch as the characters come up with their own creative solutions to problems. This technique of showing folks planning is great for building suspense. It engages the reader and focuses them on what's going on. Because the reader makes conclusions, it's really easy to play with their expectations. It's really misdirection, just the same sort of thing a magician would use. This keeps the reader rolling right along with the story because he doesn't like being fooled and yet appreciates the challenge of trying to figure out the next puzzle. Through the middle of the novel, we have a lot of action. In the beginning, the pilots are told that if they were going to die, it'd be in their first five missions. The heart of this novel is four missions, each of which gets a bit harder and requires more work from our heroes. Because the reader knows some folks are going to die any time a character is put in jeopardy, they have to fear for that bit of death. A couple of things happen in the combat chapters that are very important to the development of the series. As I mentioned previously, Tycho Selku is under suspicion of being an enemy agent. Through these combats, he repeatedly guides an unarmed ship into dangerous positions to do something heroic. He helps Corrin when his ship is disabled, and he rescues pilots who have been shot out of their ships despite being in a free fire zone. 
the reader has to balance suspicion with Tycho's obvious bravery, which generally translates into believing he's been wrongly accused of working for the enemy. I always liked Tycho, but I was surprised at how quickly the audience took to him. Very early on, there were requests to see a story about his mission in which he was captured. When I started working on the X-Wing Rogue Squadron comics for Dark Horse, he became very popular, in part, I think, because he was from Alderaan, but largely because he was a great pilot, Wedge's friend, and never shied from a fight. The nature of the missions in this novel was deliberately constructed. The first, in Chapter 13, is an exercise where the rogues are ambushed. They acquit themselves well, but Korn's ship is damaged. The second mission is one in which the rogues really tear the enemy up. They come out of it absolutely giddy with their success. Later missions become progressively more grim, and the cost of flying in them increases as well. First blood for the squadron does not happen in a dogfight. The Empire raids their base and shoots up a number of the pilots, killing Lujane Forge. They actually shoot her in her sleep. The choice to have the first pilot die on the ground was one I made deliberately. It isn't fair, especially after all their training, and they were doing so well. And then she dies in a raid by commandos. I chose to have things happen that way for a number of reasons. First, it brings home the reality of war. Second, it points out that the enemy can be crafty. Third, it shows that our pilots are not invulnerable. Fourth, folks don't like it when unfair things happen to people they like. This is true for the pilots and certainly true for the readers. The next chapter has some character work that lets Wedge reminisce about dead comrades, and that's followed by a memorial ceremony. We spend time dwelling on the dead and departed, and then, in chapter 21, the pilots get revenge in their own raid. By that point, readers are ready for the Empire to be getting its comeuppance. Without a doubt, this sequencing is a blatant manipulation of the reader. That might seem unfair in and of itself, but take a step back. As a very witty t-shirt says, quote, By reading this t-shirt, you've allowed me to hijack your mind. End quote. Reading a book is to let the author hijack your mind, and if the author does things well, you really enjoy the ride. In this case, it's an emotional ride through fear and sorrow to vengeance, all the while drawing readers into a tighter alliance with the characters. You know them, you like them, and you're riveted to their lives. This is what a good author does. In a novel, you have to plan for points where readers will react emotionally. That's for good or ill. The reaction is what's important, because it, it really bonds them with a character and gets them involved in the story. Once you learn how to do this, and having something unfair happen to a character is a prime way to provoke a reaction, you have the reader solidly locked in. The trio of chapters 24 through 26 that end this section become very grim. The squadron's being given a mission under Bothan General Crefe. Neither Wedge nor Psalm like the briefing or Crefe's attitude. They are not feeling good about the prospects for that mission, but agree to it because it's vital to the rebel cause. In Chapter 25, we have Agent Lure on the target planet. What he discovers there is a bunch of extra assets devoted to planetary defense, assets the Empire doesn't even know about. Since the rebels were relying on information obtained by a spy, their planning is completely wrong. Even before the mission is launched, the reader knows it's not going to be good. And in Chapter 26, the mission goes off. It's a complete and utter disaster. Pilots are killed and injured. X-wings are damaged. Troops invading the planet are killed in their assault craft. If not for General Som disobeying an order, Rogue Squadron would have been destroyed completely. The rebels retreat, having been thoroughly defeated. This makes for a low point in the book and sets up the end. 
At this point, the reader expects the heroes to rise through adversity and to be victorious. In this sort of novel, that's exactly what will happen, too. However, it's important that it doesn't happen in a straightforward manner. Predictability is a reason readers put books down. As you'll see in the next episode, things don't quite go as expected, which keeps readers anxious through the final third of the book. So far, I've concentrated on the plot aspects of the book because, as military science fiction, plot plays a big part on what's going on. There is, however, a lot of development of characters and subplots in this section of the book. These things keep the book moving forward, allowing readers to connect more with the characters and to set up events in subsequent novels. In Chapter 14, we have two significant additions or changes to the cast. We've already met Emtray, the military protocol droid that makes life miserable for our heroes. Here, however, Emtray undergoes a change. Corrin suggests that Emtray should scrounge some parts so he can fly again. Emtray goes from being by the book into a scrounging wizard, apparently accessing some programs that no one has known about. This is useful, but it also creates some suspicion about the droid. More importantly, Mirax Tarek is introduced. She's a smuggler, a good friend of Wedge's, and her father was sent to Kessel for five years by Corrin's father, Hal Horn. While there's an initial spark between them, once Mirax learns who Corrin is, she really wants nothing to do with him. The start of a romance is there, however. It gets played up later. Erizi Delaret, another one of the rogues, is also attracted to Corrin and makes a play for his affections in Chapter 23. Corrin rebuffs her gently and gets to mention his Corsac partner, Elia Wasiri, who will be important in the future. As she's leaving Corrin's quarters, Mirax shows up for a visit. The two of them instantly dislike each other. This builds a romance triangle and has the reader wondering which of the two Corrin will pick to be his romantic interest. As I said before, once you have the readers projecting a future for characters, you have them involved in the story. The middle of the book also reflects a lot of other things which tie back into the Star Wars saga as a whole. One of them is how the Bothans are seen as being very political and power-hungry. Here I built on work that Timothy Zahn did in his Heir to the Empire series. In any series, but especially in a franchise series, maintaining that sort of internal continuity is absolutely vital. In chapters 18 and 19, The Raid and Aftermath, we also got the first sign that Corrin has latent abilities within the Force. He doesn't see Lujane die, but he feels someone die. It's easy to miss, and I wanted it that way. Corrin and the reader were meant to grow into the knowledge of his heritage at the same time. In chapter 18 on page 197, Corrin enters a gunfight with Imperial Commandos. He knows he should be afraid, but he's not. He's already figured out that he's dead, so fear doesn't make any sense. He's emotionally detached and goes into battle willingly. This attitude and explanation is an observation born out of my research for the book. It involved reading a lot about heroes in war and reading many of the citations for the Medal of Honor. Without fear for their own lives and in a desire to protect their comrades, people do incredible things. While what Corrin did pales in comparison with what real heroes do, the research showed me how to reflect what he had to be thinking. The last thing I'll mention in here are little in-jokes that appear in the book. Authors often put them in just for the heck of it. In my case, I mention a particular brand of Corellian whiskey. I wasn't thinking of any brand here on Earth, but I have been known to drink whiskey a time or two, which made describing the taste much easier. And, well, you, you gotta love the research. Similarly, there's a mention of Rishkate, which is a sweet cake made on Corellia, using some of that whiskey and including chopped nuts. Twenty years ago or so, my father started making rum cakes at the holidays. 
think he's up to like doing 30 or so every year to be handed out his presents. I've learned to do the same thing, but tend to use other liqueurs and cake mixes because I'm kind of competitive and know I can't beat my dad's, so, you know, I just play in a different field. So, Rishkate is actually just a rum cake, and, and no, I've not tried one with whiskey yet, but that might be coming. I, I just got some scotch, which is really smoky, and, and it could work well with chocolate, come to think of it. But that, that, that exploration, that would be for a cooking podcast or something, I suppose. Look, in the next episode, I'm going to finish up the book, and then in the last podcast on Rogue Squadron, I'll talk about some of the issues and more background material that bled into future books, so you can see how things go together. By the time that's done, you should be well-armed and ready for surprises that pop up in your novel. But that's upcoming over the next two shows. This is Michael A. Stackpole for The Secrets. Thanks for listening. By now, all of you know that this podcast is an audio adjunct to The Secrets, my writing newsletter, which is available by subscription over the net. Subscribers pay a dollar an issue for advice and discussions about everything from character creation and world building to the effects of technology on publishing. Is it worth a dollar an issue to make your writing the best it possibly could be? Issue 80 just came out with an article uh, dealing with morality in fiction, what we owe to ourselves and what we owe to our readers to present and how we should deal with it. Don't forget to visit www.stormwolf.com to get your sample issues of The Secrets. The New World, which is my latest novel, will hit bookstore shelves on, uh, I think it's the like 24th of July. It's the last Tuesday in July. Uh, this will finish off the Age of Discovery trilogy. Publishers Weekly ran a very nice review of it, especially like how the reviewer was able to read my mind and mention aspects of the book which, to be honest, I hadn't thought about until it was all done. I'm also really excited about the Fortress Draconis podcast. I'm reading the novel Fortress Draconis, chapter by chapter, releasing one a week. I'm having great fun reading it. And we just released chapter 9, and a little bit later this week we'll release chapter 10. I invite you to come over to www.stormwolf.com to check it out. And, or you can subscribe through iTunes. And Apple was like really cool. They put the logo up. If you go to the podcast page on iTunes, the Fortress Jacona's logo is right there. So uh, the day they did that, all of a sudden, like a huge bandwidth usage. So that was really kind of cool. Uh, the podcast is free. But if you want to go out and buy the novel or the prequel to it, The Dark Glory War, and support the effort, I'd be very appreciative. And I'll certainly let you know if your efforts actually make Panem reprint the book, which would also be wickedly cool. Two other things I want to mention. Gen Con is a convention which is held in August, and it is in Indianapolis. And I will be teaching five or six writing seminars there. I think it's six this year that I'll be doing, including an hour-long seminar based on the 21 Days to a Novel series of podcasts, which ended uh, season three of The Secrets here. I'm also, as I suggested in those podcasts, uh, working on putting together the scripts and slicing them out into a book, which will be available as a PDF. And if I work really hard and I'm really lucky, I'll get it done in time for Gen Con. So I'll let you know about that as we go. The other thing I'd like to let you know, I think I've mentioned it before, I now co-host Dragon Page Cover to Cover, which is their podcast about books. I should say there, it's our podcast about books in which we interview a lot of authors, talk about books, let you know what the latest books are that are coming out. It's a really cool podcast, and I really see it as a companion to this in many ways, because not only, I mean, here I get to talk about my thoughts about writing, there I get to help interview authors and find out what's going on in their heads, how they come and do the stuff that they do. 
So if you're really interested in writing, come on over to dragonpage.com. You'll see the logo for cover to cover and just click on it and subscribe to it or at least pull down some episodes. In July, we are doing double feature July, which means that we have two interviews per show. So the shows are running about an hour, but we figured as people are driving to the beach and stuff, they we might want something a little bit longer. I'd like to thank Cat at catalley.com for providing the hosting facilities, doing all the web design for my website, and giving me tons of bandwidth to burn. If you have any needs, whether it's podcasting or just putting up a web page, and you want a good hosting company, go to catalley.com. They have got lots of plans. All of them are reasonably priced, and the service you just can't beat. So take a look at catalley.com, and you'll find a solution to your problem. catalley.com because it's a jungle out there. Lastly, because I was out of town at conventions and stuff, I did not get a podcast out in the last couple of weeks uh, in this series, and I apologize for that. So what I've done, if you'll actually look at your podcatcher feed, I put one of the sample issues of Secrets in the feed. It's buried there, so you'll have to actually click on it to download it, because I didn't really want to burn your bandwidth and take up a lot of uh, space if you weren't interested in getting a sample copy. Issue 78 deals with fads in publishing and what to do if you find yourself caught in one and how to avoid that sort of a problem. So there you have it. You have a free issue of The Secrets and it's delivered right there to your computer. And if you like it, come on back over to stormwolf.com and uh, you can subscribe. This podcast is copyright 2007 by Michael A. Stackpole. Again, thanks for listening. I'll be back in a fortnight or so with uh, more about working with words. Until then... Good luck with your writing.